Yes. Heart to Heart was way before. Yeah. Way before. Way it, before. Heart to Heart was seminal. How about that? How about <laughs> How about we do that? Because their marriage was their marriage. murder. When they because when they got married, <laughs> when they got together, it was it murder. It was murder. Which it literally was when he was with uh, on that boat. I, I don't want to go totally woke on you guys, but I think these days you're not supposed to say seminal, you're supposed to say ovular. Because it was murder. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Will Smith just smacked the <laughs> shit out of me. Nick It was a G.I. Jane joke. Keep my wife's name out your f***ing mouth. I'm going to, okay? That was the greatest night in the history of television. Well, slap my face. It's another glop culture. <laughs> Ow. Uh, wait, That's I guess stop if, it, if when, it was slap my fanny, it'd be another Madison Corthon or orgy. <laughs> when well, when did you, you think of that? When is that? Oh, I literally I thought of it. that two seconds before I opened my mouth. Because huh. I am quick-witted. I am I would hot say... on the ball. That's me, John Pon Horitz, and the other guy who was seeming to think that I wrote that line 24 hours ago, as opposed to really the second that Scott Emmergott, our producer, said you can you can go, is Rob Long elsewhere in New York. Hi, Rob. Hi, John. How are you? And the guy with the fanny joke with Madison Cawthorn, that's Jonah Goldberg in Washington. Hello, John. Uh, so, yes, it's a, been a great it's been a great week for the violation of norms. Madison Cawthorn being one. And of course, the slap uh, Will Smith's uh, slapping uh, Chris Rock on the face, you know, in the face uh, on live television in front of 15 right. million people in America and God knows how many abroad. Uh and I, 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 I am now, as it's like 72 hours later, I, I thought at the time, and I think now it is the single weirdest thing that has ever happened on television weird. in my life, ever. I mean, there have been, hor- some, there have been yeah. worse things. There have been more horrible things, you know, like, but it's not that I was, not that I remember it, but like, you know, I don't know, Jack Ruby shooting Lee Harvey Oswald is probably, right. you know, on television is probably. Did he though? Did he Did though? He? Okay. Now there's something more epical, you know, or whatever. But wait, but, so um, you're saying it's the weirdest because it was the it what was the, what was the never seen, I it is a thing that has never happened before. Right. Not only was it a an act of of of, of physical violence in a setting that was not a sports arena. Was it the okay? But it was Two incredibly famous people having a physical altercation right. live on television well, in an ex, you know totally out of keeping with anything that has ever happened. There wasn't much us. altercating. Like, yeah, I was, was going to say doing, altercation is the wrong word. You mean uh, physical assault, right? Because it really it was, assault, was, the, sound, right. it, it was right. the sound of one hand slapping, right? Yes. No right. pushback. Yes. yes. Um, uh, what was the – see, to uh, – to me, can the you weirdest... think of another? Can you think of something weirder? No, I, I no. But to me, the weirdest thing about it wasn't really even the slap. It was the the blind anger that we saw on his face on the way back from the slap, and then the kind of double the downing eruption, screaming from the chair from his seat. Um, that was so weird and horrifying. But mostly weird and horrifying because there are um, there are people in Hollywood with rage problems. And by the way, I should say full disclosure: the, the people I know, one of them with 
well, <laughs> not a rage problem. <laughs> um, uh, people I know who who work with who've worked with Hint with Will Smith um, have reported that he is um, incredibly, incredibly lovely, lovely person, right? So I'm not, you know, who knows? But I, I have seen this kind of anger, this kind of weird volcanic, you know, red fog anger uh, in some people, and it's always what's horrifying about it is you just you can't. You can't believe it's happening, and their, it's their humiliation afterwards that makes them angry. It's their, mm-hmm. it's their mortification that this happened, that they let, they let it out. And everyone in Hollywood has seen certain people do that. Uh, I've been a bystander to it at least twice. And what's amazing about it is just how you do naturally go to the person who un- unleashed it and want to make them they, – they are the weakest person in the entire scenario in a weird way. Right. I don't know. Just, just the, well, that's my two cents. Twice in my career, once at Time Magazine, which is my first job, and once at the Washington Times, about six or seven years later, I worked with uh, two different people who erupted, not physically, but screaming. Um, I'd heard that they had had a tendency to do this, right, and that the eruption was instantaneous, and 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 not um, was not. Uh, there were no precursor events that this was uh, a quirk, a feature of their personalities, that something, <laughs> would happen, that something would happen that would annoy them and that what was triggered was Vesuvius, you know, not, oh, my God, you know, not like rolling eyes or even slapping a desk or something, just screaming at the top of their lungs, having five seconds earlier been speaking at a normal conversational level. And in both of those cases, it wasn't that the, the eruption, once was the eruption was sort of at me or something that had happened, but once it had nothing to do with me, it was just the it was just frustration at a situation. And um, on the one hand, it could be terrifying if you're the sort of person who was terrified by right. by that. And on the other, it is it is like a momentary bl- glimpse of madness. Like it it is like, oh my God, that person is really 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 sick yeah right and and it kind of triggers it can trigger a kind of momentary uh compassion but i the, yeah. f- the physicalization of it the fact that he hit him that just changed changes everything can i tell a personal story uh, uh i was on the phone with my writing partner with a director a very uh, that time extremely prominent director uh, who had a rage problem that we didn't that then we discovered on the phone and, um, you know, we've been going out our business. We were, well, we're all working on a project together. And, uh, you know, we were doing it our way, which is the way the writers do it in television. You sort of you just do it. And we sort of made some changes to it. And then, we, you know, we weren't terribly um, politic about it. We should have gathered all the, the stakeholders in the project together and said, hey, listen, we're trying to change this thing. We think it, it was a really small adjustment, but we wanted to make the adjustment. And instead, we just didn't do it because we'd never done it. We'd never worked this way before. And uh, we were all on, a, on a call, a big call with a network. And we had said, hey, we're thinking about this. And what do you think? About? And, uh, and then he called us back after the, after, the, after the call and was just enraged, just like a volcanic, screaming, foaming, spittle-flecked anger. Um. And uh, I was like, I was just, I was stunned. I was like one of those people in the, in the theater. Like, I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do now. This is, I don't know what to do. Um, and uh, he slammed down the phone and then I was like staring and my writing partner, Ice 
who is uh, you know has is very smart um but is also very emotional but like knows when to pull it in with just ice water in his veins he picked up the phone and he dialed back the office director's office and he said put him on the phone put him on the phone now and i had i was completely i had no i had, i was trying to gather my thoughts and then he was hello and all he i heard my right word says let me tell you one thing if you ever talk to me like that again it'll be the last time we speak i do not need this i refuse to take this you can scream at anybody in your life that way but you may not scream at me and that He's man like, was Polly Shore. Link and I are cruising the mountain, bro. And we figure we's a little juice. <laughs> yeah. No, he was, was very prominent director. <laughs> is that clear? And then I heard him raise his voice. Said, no, no, no. Is that clear? Yes or no? Okay, then. And then he hung up. And I was thinking, God, I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> I was still like thinking like, oh, my God, did he really scream? Like my brain had already fogged it out. But there's some people did, can did handle it. And you yeah, the, yeah then he liked him. Then we had a we, were, we 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 had a summit meeting at the Casa del Mar hotel at the lunch area, and he tearfully asked us to forgive him, which is worse, by the way. That's the the forgiveness, as we discovered. The begging speech, as we discovered, forty five minutes after the slap, is actually somehow worse than the slap. It's more more where you want to crawl up your own yeah. butt to like to get out of here, right? But um, but that is how that is the that is how people in that business get around they get around by like enormously outrageous emotion followed by enormously tearful apologies and everyone is just so exhausted at the end they don't want to talk about it anymore which i think is what's going to happen i jonah i guess the question is is there does this have cultural ramifications i don't mean what happens to will smith or what happens to did chris rock or whatever or anything like that but um there is there is a kind of uh, uh, foment idea sort of in the ether that um, that this is the logical end result of the two years that we've spent uh, you know uh, since the pandemic and uh, the, we've all had this experience I think of going around seeing people losing it people mm-hmm. uh, in the summer of 2020 uh, I, I people people were screaming at people in stores uh, you know uh, mm-hmm. we've had these fights on airplanes and all of that that somehow this was some kind of Jungian manifestation of the country's out of control, you know, the break from normality. And here we had it happen right in front of us with, you know, one of the, I don't know, five most famous movie stars of the last 30 years, maybe. Mm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think metaphorically that definitely works. Um, but like, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that <laughs> that Will Smith's self quarantining during COVID was not as stressful as ours was, yeah. <laughs> right. and yeah. um, and I'm not saying that we had the most stressful self quarantining, but like when you have plural homes and access to private jets, the idea that like COVID was a real burden is just mm-hmm. less. That said, uh, you know, like I do think it's going to live on for a really long time for a lot of equally sort of just practical reasons first of all we have so few shared experiences in our culture anymore and this either you saw it live or you saw it within 24 hours and you felt like you were seeing it live and everyone was talking about it no one there were no safe harbors from it kind of thing and because of memes you know it's like that 
that graphic that that drawing of Batman slapping Robin. Right. We yeah. have people plug in stuff to all the time. People are going to be plugging that into oh. Chris Rock and 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 Will Smith already. Oh, they already are, but but they're going to be doing it for years. And the audio is already TikTok. You know. Yeah. Constant, so it's, it's yeah. with a. It's going to have a weird sort of. Like what do they call it in film? You know the the where the image burns in and fades on your eye over time, yeah. kind of thing. Culturally, it's going to have something like that for a really long time. Um, I got to say, you know, I watched. It's it's so funny. I wa- I don't know. If it's so funny. I watched the Oscars. I watched even some of the the red carpet stuff, which I don't, normally never do. And I got so bored with the Oscars. I tweeted. I'm going to bed. Let me know if anything interesting happens. And yeah. literally two minutes after I cut off yeah. from the world, this happened. So I didn't know about it till the morning. Yeah. And um, or until the middle of the night when I saw my texts. And um, um, but what is I, I, I don't want to make some sort of cheap anti-woke, anti-inclusiveness kind of joke about it, but like it was amazing at how much the Oscars leaned into. Yeah. black people i mean yeah. it was just for the first for the red carpet thing it was all uh black people doing the interviews mostly interviewing black people and then the first i don't know 40 minutes of the oscars it was just lots of coded inclusiveness 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 talk about you know you know people from my community and it's almost always either you know black or hispanic people or both or you know the whole right. checklist of that woman who was in in west side story and there is I don't, and no one wants to write about it. And I understand why. I'm a little nervous even talking about it here. I don't think you guys will cancel me. But like, there is a weirdness to the fact that like the Oscars finally figured out, at least in their own mind, how to get past Oscars so white stuff and beam this, you know, from the opening thing with Beyonce on through, you know, that we're inclusive towards black people. We've got black Oscar winners. We can make presenters. And then arguably two of the most famous black people in America one of them slaps the other one and it was just sort of like you know like you know the oracle of delphi you go to the oracle of delphi and say i want to make this a wonderful a memorable night for for african-americans at the oscars your wish is granted (laughs) this is what you get (laughs) i did i did like the like was really within 30 seconds there were people preparing either tweets or preparing their uh their op-eds this is because of, you know, Trump or this is because of Nancy Pelosi. This right. is what like this is because yeah. of the don't say gay. This is uh, all of the incredible. Uh, whereas this is really just because um, that some a guy's got a real anger problem and he was seated too close to the audience and there was no um, stage. There was no proscenium. It was hard for him to get if he if he if he wasn't that close, if he had to walk to the side and walk up the steps, they wouldn't have done it. Um this is because he's a little bit psychotic, and and uh, my my take, which I did not have the courage to tweet, I would I'll just say now, but if I if you think I'll be in trouble for it, we'll cut it out later. I just said, well, at least finally, Americans are talking about black on black crime. <laughs> um, um, here's sure, the here's, I think you you know again metaphorically, right? So the setup was that they had this weird thing where they had tables in front. It was very weird. And, and uh, to Globes get to F. the stage, it was two steps up onto the stage. And Will Smith right. was essentially in the seat that was directly opposite the steps or directly like five, a couple of feet from the steps. And so he stood up, 
walked up the two steps, walked up to Chris Rock, slapped him, and it took all of seven seconds. And then he walked back, right? There were literally no guardrails. That's the metaphor. (laughs) Yeah. There was no guardrail. Ordinarily, for 100 years, stages, people are sitting in an audience. Right. The stage is eight or nine feet up. It's hard to get there. Can't get up. Like the whole thing with the Oscars was always, it was such a pain when people had to get up onto the stage to accept the Oscar, particularly women in long gowns, and somebody had to help them up the, the steps and all of this. So they sort of eliminated that, and this was the consequence. Like, it turns out there's a reason that you want a separation, even in Hollywood, even with movie Especially stars. Especially in Hollywood. They're right. nuts. You want <laughs> to keep the you yes. want to keep the people yes. on stage separate from the people in the crowd. Yeah. This because is why these are two mental different hospitals. things happening. That's why they It'll put be mental awesome hospitals like in next... the country. Put them in the country in the desert. <laughs> it is difficult to get in and out. That's what that is. It'd be I will awesome say, if like next year they do a, you have to like basically go through a TSA pre-check <laughs> thing to get to the stage. Yeah, the you stage. Know, empty your pockets. Go through the middle of the deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Or just like you have a, to take you have to yeah. take your clonopin in front right. of the ticket taker. Or just the thirty-second rule. It's like the the, the the five-day waiting period for getting a gun. You know, like I got to get away thirty seconds. Next year, it would be a really good bit if everyone has come to their senses to have Will Smith brought up to the stage in like one of that that vertical Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter stretcher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I let me just say two. One is that uh, um, uh, what I heard was was happening on in the auditorium in the forty five minute interval between slap and award, slap and ovation, right? Um, was uh, a slap team. to ovation delta. Is yeah, the, the slap to ovation delta. That time, <laughs> that time horizon or whatever it is, uh, was um, every time there was a there was a commercial break, there was a swarm of publicists and handlers uh, right there in that little, little orchestra pit throne area that he was sit- seated in. So they had forty five minutes to come up with the apology, and um, that's what they came up with. And the second thing is. Um, and I, and I, this is a rumor, so I will let, allow you to draw the own, your own conclusions in it. But the person I want to hear from is uh, a fellow Oscar nominee in 2001. Because remember, Will Smith was nominated in 2001 for Ali, Ali I think. Um, and so was Ethan Hawke for something. Training Day, I think. Tra- yeah, Training Day. The winner was um, Denzel Washington. Yeah. And I want to hear from Ethan Hawke because apparently there was an altercation with Ethan Hawke that night. Um, so Will Smith has been famous for 40 years. Just like me. Uh, he's been famous since Fresh Prince. Maybe it's not 40 years. Maybe it's 30, 30. years. I'm sorry, because, right. So 32. Fresh Prince was the early, was uh, just the beginning of the 90s, right? They shot the pilot of Fresh Prince in 1990. Okay, so he has been world famous for 30 some odd years and became the biggest movie star in the world for about, I don't know, 10 years, maybe from 90, from 95 through 2005. And then he started making bad movies and he kind of went cold and then he got hot again and he went cold. But, you know, I mean, I, you know this better than I, most, you know, like, People like this 
do not live a life that is recognizable to everybody else who lives a life. You know, they can't go out. They are, it, it's like their 18th century royalty. They live in, they live in castles behind moats. Uh, if they want to go to a restaurant, I mean, I know somebody who worked with Will Smith wanted to go to a restaurant. So he bought out the restaurant. Right. So everyone could go to dinner with him, but he couldn't be in a restaurant with other pe- people because he couldn't, he would hit them. Right. Or, <laughs> right. Or, or he couldn't eat, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't do anything. Right. He would just be stared at. He's also very tall. So he's, you know, he doesn't have uh, the possibility yeah. of any kind of anonymity. You know, it's like Elvis, you know, Elvis went out after midnight, would go to, who loved amusement parks, he would go to amusement parks after midnight, right? Because if he'd gone yeah. to an amusement park, he could he had to buy out an amusement park and go at one o'clock in the morning. And yet, yeah, I saw Tom Holland, who is uh, in the huge movie, two huge movies, big, big movie star, maybe the hottest, youngest movie star around. At Balthazar, sitting there quietly with some other guy, and some kid walked up to him and was, you know, incredibly excited to see that it was Tom Holland and asked for a picture and got one. And Holland was really smiley and nice and perfectly gentle. And then he slapped him. Then there was no slapping at all. And then I was like, once I was in a restaurant in in uh, Miami Beach, and uh, at a little booth table was um, Harry Styles and a few other people. And as Harry Styles got up to leave. The kind of was you could tell everybody who kind of wanted the people who worked at the restaurant kind of want to say hello, and he very politely, and I remember he very politely stood there and took pictures and shook everybody's hand. It was incredibly, incredibly. Nice. Harry Styles is a big, big, big fat right. star, and I remember I actually said out loud like an elderly person. And I was so loud, I think he might have heard it. But I just couldn't stop. I was like, well, he's a very nice young man, is what I said out loud. And I right. almost killed myself. Right. But, but it's truly how I feel about Harry Styles. But let's see how he let's see how he behaves 10, 15 years from now. Harry Styles has been famous for 10 years. See what it's like after you know 30 what I think? years. To that? What? Take Harry Styles' name out of your fing mouth. <laughs> so before we get off of this, because I mean I, I'm this is a point of information question. Um, so I have not read every TikTok on this, but I watched the video, obviously. <laughs> you don't read TikToks. You, know what I mean. you don't read TikTok. Oh, you mean the TikTok kind of the, the article TikTok, the journal Timeline, TikTok. yes. Okay. The way I used the phrase up until three years ago without any confusion. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... Chris Rock's joke was not particularly offensive, right? I mean, no, like, or, and or funny, or funny, and um, and it was said with such sort of uh, preemptive, you know, love that it, it should not have been a big deal. Will Smith then laughs, right? Right, right. Is the theory that he looked over at his wife and saw that she was upset, and then all of a sudden realized, oh, I shouldn't have laughed, and felt even more anger, not just at Rock but at himself for like having like laughed at something and then had to prove to his wife that he actually was on her side. I mean, like what is the, the prevailing explanation for exactly why he did it? The prevailing explanation is that they have one of the weirdest marriages on earth. (laughs) That is the prevailing (laughs) explanation. Like this is a marriage in which he has said that they don't, they have an open marriage and she has actually publicly done a YouTube show with her mother and her daughter in which she talked about the guy that she slept with who was not her daughter's father. 
this is public. Plus, she has alopecia. <laughs> now, she has alopecia, and she has decided to own it by going around Same you know, with, with, a, with, a, with yeah. a bald head, right? Right. Yeah, she looks great. She could wear yeah. right. Or she could wear a wig. Mm-hmm. You know, or I mean, hat. there are people. Mike yeah. Nichols wore a wig. He had alopecia. People wear wigs. There are a lot of people who have thinning hair. Women who you know have falls and do various. Have things you ever? Have... I mean, you, I mean, I'm, I don't mean to. I'm yeah. not trying to be Chris Rock or anything, but yeah, you. I would call your hair, John, thinning. Yes, thinned. Yes, but I'd call but, it a memory. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. But, but have you ever? Did it, at, at any point? I mean, I know I'm not derailing this, but yes. I, let me go back to yeah, it. Please. But I just, I'm yes. curious. Yes. At any point, did you think to yourself, "Huh, I wonder what it would. What would it? What would it look like with the?" With the with the toupee, I never ever did because my father say, I, lost I my father lost his hair way younger than I did. So I grew. Did you, did you ever think about it? No, did no. Are you thinking about it now? No, I mean as your I'm, own I'm, as your own hair wisps away. It doesn't wisp away. It's okay, like my hairline enough. is receding no, no, a little bit. Fair I mean, no, I have a full I, head. No, on way no back, but, but no, but so I'm not a woman. I'm not a sex symbol. I'm not right. like somebody who's famously glamorous or famously beautiful. Untrue, untrue, untrue. Okay, but, but I'm just saying that she decided to, you know, to own it, right? Yeah. And and the joke that Chris Rock made was a reference to a movie in which we are meant to celebrate the character of G.I. Jane because she is such a badass. To me more. And looked awesome. That to prove herself as a soldier, that she shaves her head like all the other guys do and and says, suck my D and stuff like that. And that is, she is supposed to be a triumphant, empowered character. So if he makes a joke about how Jada Pinkett Smith is bald like G.I. Jane and is doing G.I. Jane 2, that is not insulting. That would right. seem to be like a, ce- a right. celebration. I don't know what it is, and it's not really funny, and he did it off the cuff, and like comedians do, you know, I don't think mm-hmm. you're really supposed to test a bit in, you know, at the Dolby at the Theater. It's hard not <laughs> In front of 15 million people. Why are you like, supposed to test it? Yeah, don't, uh, yeah, maybe not the wisest idea, but... Um, that's why I mentioned this thing with the people that I worked with who who went off, you know, like Vesuvius with no warning, because that's what happened with Elizabeth. That's why it was so terrifying. That's why it was so weird was that, yeah, they just had a shot of him laughing. And then 15 seconds right. later, he's slapping Chris well, Rock I mean, in the face. We have that footage, though. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Jonah's question. There is an answer to it. There's there's there, there was plenty of coverage that night. They cut away from it, but it's there. Right. We can we can find out like what they should happened. have busted out the Madden scoreboard and they like circle on the screen. Yeah, now the Stratocaster. <laughs> yeah, whatever they yeah. called it. Whatever. The, yeah, that that it's thing. there. No. Yeah. Well, it's there. That's why the Academy is going to be doing you know a, is is, uh, is is doing a forensic report. The Warren Commission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On 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 what happened. Um, I mean, the, so look the 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 thing that matters here again get, gets to the question of how the world responded to it. And as I say, I think, you know, my long time rap about how one of the weird things about what's happened in America in the 21st century is that things just don't work right anymore. Mm-hmm. They they seem to work pretty well, you know, sort of systems and things. And then they, then well, starting... to bring it full circle, I've quoted you on this. You've brought it back to the Oscars, right? right. You said the moment that the universe tore open 
and we went down a crazy timeline was when they screwed up the best the picture. La- thing. Right, the La La Land Moonlight thing. That's right. But And it wasn't yeah. just that, but I mean, sort of, it was kind of like Y2K. That was the moment when you were like, really? You mean all all of the computer systems in the world could crash because it never occurred to people that they needed to have four digits for the, the year for the instead year. of two digits for the year? So it didn't happen, as far as we know, unless I think it's you know, the they universe... I think it's because they refused to flip the odometer on 20th Century Fox. <laughs> right. And See? it, just, it right. held on to a chunk of reality. So right. I'm just saying, like, things true, just actually. started to go screwy, right? And things went screwy. And this is just another, this is another very public, very thing of something going sideways that you would never expect to go sideways. Like, and, and all and in a very, you know, self-destructive and bizarre fashion that it went sideways, the way it went sideways. And that's, that's... Okay, that's so why I hijack so this for two comforting. seconds. Yes, uh, please do. Okay, I'm going to change the subject a little bit, and I want to I want to address something to Rob, and I want you to know, as Chris Rock said about Jada Pinkett Smith, I say this with love. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, when John callously said that you were losing your hair, right? You said very um animatedly, more animated yeah. than I'm used to seeing you. I have really, to, I was yeah, that's true. Uh, you said. Well, no, 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 no. My hairline's receding, but it's it's full and wavy in the back, and yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just want to be clear. Like, I don't think you know. I, I don't think you're bald. I, you know, you're not losing your hair, all that kind of stuff. And you were a, you were a fine specimen of a man. I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But when I but, hear people talking like that, yes. Hey, I I play the movie forward like ten years, and they have convinced themselves no one notices their comb over. Right. right. It is that it is the sort of like my hair is still thick and great in the back and it's it's okay here. And no it, right. And it's like no 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 people can see what, what the true state of your hair is and you should just own it. And I'm just I'm saying it now so that in 10, 10 15 years yes. from now when you're in your forties, well, you'll you'll understand you. where I'm coming from. It I it I will be dead in ten or fifteen years. I think that's pretty clear. <laughs> I'm not gonna make it. But you're correct. I do remember in my high school class. Uh, there was a guy who was like, uh, uh, just like super tall, super handsome. Like he was like a very, very well-known, like star kind of kid. And then uh, the Jonah Goldberg of your class, the Jonah Goldberg of our class. Uh And then later, uh, and he remained that way. And he has had, has, and has had the subsequent years, a kind of a glamorous life too, but he, he did have a receding hairline early on. And he kept saying this, he kept saying, I don't care about it. Like, I feel like a man should show a little forehead. And so I, except for I'm wearing headphones now, I do have it. I do now. I think you're right. My, my solution of taking my headphones off is to continually, which are probably losing it, making it lose faster, is to put is to is to make it go backwards. It back. Right. Mm-hmm. To sort of not do the thing where mm-hmm. it's like I'm pretending that it's like that it's covering your right. Yes. I'm going backwards. Um right. uh, and I but, but that's because I'm worried about that very thing. I don't really think about it too much. Uh, mm-hmm. although I, I I must say that my Instagram account thinks about it a lot apparently because <laughs> algorithmically i get served a lot of ads for hair loss um and remarkable am, hair restoration so so you would ask me about a toupee and i i just had this memory which is that around Uh-oh. 1993 1994 when my hairline really began to recede and i had had a very very thick curly bushy head of hair you had like the original jufro for i had a real you? jufro big yeah 
big, heavy Jufro, and it just started to go away. And right around then is when Rogaine came on the market. So Rogaine was the thing that would grow back your hair, right? That was the, it was a topical ointment and you put it on your head. It was made for something else, but it turned out that it grew hair, right? So I was like, okay, I'm going to try Rogaine. So I get a prescription for Rogaine and I get the Rogaine. So here is what the Rogaine thing was. It was put it on your head twice a day. And after six months, (laughs) you might get a little bit of fuzz kind of returned where there were still hair follicles that were receding. I can smell the Rogaine ad falling away from this podcast every second you talk. And and you were going to have to do this every day for the rest of your life. Otherwise, the fuzz would fall out. And so I did it for like two weeks. And then I woke up one morning and I said, what the hell? I'm not, I'm not going to do this. This is ridiculous. And I threw the Rogaine away and then I let nature, nature take its course. Right. right. Um, and I, and I don't think anybody uses Rogaine anymore. I mean, it's like, wouldn't is it, it be a cream? What is it? A cream? No, it was kind it was, yeah, it was is it a pill. It was clear. It no, 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 no. It was a topical application. You rubbed it, you, you rubbed oh. it into your scalp and I mean, I haven't seen it in stores. I mean, I, they don't advertise it. Maybe, maybe it's now generic, so nobody makes money on it. I, I don't, I don't really know. But it was a, it was a very big deal. Like it was one of those drugs that came on the as a miracle, right? It was Rogaine was gonna was gonna end baldness the way that you know, I don't know, Vi- Viagra was gonna end, you know, Viagra, which was like fifteen years later or ten years later or something, had that same kind of like cultural impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess Viagra is still used. Rogan, you don't hear. And then there was the other big one. You remember, which was Olestra. You remember Olestra was fake oh, yeah. fat. And that was going to end overweightness, except for the, the problem, <laughs> the Olestra problem. <laughs> do you remember the term that was the Olestra problem? Oh, I yeah, do. If right, you ate right. Olestra? Right. Anal mm-hmm. leakage. That's right. That was it. Right. That if you had potato chips made with Olestra... Basically, right. you would drip from your hiney. Right. And uh, and so Olestra, they spent $100 million marketing it, and then that was the end of Olestra. Right. <laughs> once, once people either heard or learned that uh, there was this side effect, so much for fake fat. And that was the end of fake fat. And here we are. And they haven't they haven't fixed it apparently because you never hear about that now. Now, do you guys remember GLH number nine? No, what was that? Uh, it was among my favorite infomercials of all time. And Larry King was a customer. It was Is it garlic. Um, Is it garlic? It was, GLH number nine stood for great looking hair number nine. The implication being that the GLH is one through eight were not the right formula, but GLH number nine nailed it. And it was a can of specialty, essentially spray paint, spray. Oh, right. That you sprayed on your head. And and I think Stephen Miller used some version of it not too long ago on TV, but it's just like a spray on thing. And it would take the shine out of your bald spot. And right. um, oh. uh, is it like silly string? Was it like it. did it have did it have um, body? Because there was Not, that I stuff you could spray like it, silly yeah. string on your there head. Was like, they had that. There was like there was a Ron Popeil thing. Yeah, <laughs> it was a uh, Ronco thing, and uh, and and um, 
it was like this weird kind of it was like a it was like silly string but thinner <laughs> and and you would kind of you couldn't you couldn't uh, brush it too much you had to kind of like finger it into place right because it could come out it could come out it like could come out it would yeah, 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 lightly right. spray yeah. thing and uh sort of like and, spray on snow and like on windows exactly yeah. exactly yeah. And, yeah. and the most interesting thing about it was that uh at my old gym in los angeles the la sports club which is now something else but in the old time days it was a gym called la sports club and it was on uh sepulveda and it was sort of a fancy gym uh and uh, ron popeil was a member and we saw him and he was a nice guy. He was like kind of like you imagine Ron Popeil. He's like he's a big salesman, you know. Sweat, set it and forget it. He's the Ronco Electric the Pocket Fisherman and the rotisserie. And he's that's that's the guy, and the infomercial guy. And then one day he's there, and you know, you're in the gym, and the gym's like little bays, and you're like in the locker and you're getting dressed, and we're a bunch of us are getting dressed, and we're not, you know how it is, you don't really, you're not really relating to each other, but we are aware that that's Ron Popeil, because you he's got a very distinctive voice. And then he goes to the mirror section as he's getting dressed to leave. And he pulls out of his little kit a thing, and he sprays, just like he does on the infomercial, the back of his head. And we all look at each other like, well, you know, at least he, he does, in fact, use his product. He likes his product. Well, Ron, like the guy from the club, the hair, hair, club, hair club for men, for men. Sure. he said, I'm not only the owner, I'm their customer. Yeah. Why wouldn't the GLH people be the same? My late exactly mother-in-law right. went on her first date in high school with Ron Popeil. Wow. Really? In Chicago. In the 1940s, uh, the late Ron Popeil. He died. Recently. The late Ron Popeil and the late uh, Bobby Cohen. Yes, uh, were, were went on their first uh, date. Bobby, then Bobby Cheska. So, um, so Ron was he Popeil like? I, I got an invention for you, and like that really <laughs> creepy and weird. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm no, going to sh- be an inventor, a famous <laughs> inventor. Like, okay, that's it. This date is now over. No, yeah. you don't understand. Don't you hate it when you go fishing and? No, I don't. I, I don't care. You I'm, drop the remote and you can't find it in right. the couch. Now, do you remember? You remember that um, Malcolm Gladwell did a piece about Ron Popeil, whom everybody, you know, we knew him as a, he was like one of the first direct marketers on television. Yeah, the Pocket Fisherman. That was like the first thing, and Ronco, and then he had various other things, and then he kind of went into abeyance, and then he came back with this rotisserie oven, and Malcolm did this piece in the New Yorker. According to him, the Ron Popeil rotisserie oven was the best oven that had ever been brought to market, that it made a perfect rotisserie ho- yeah. rotisserie chicken at home. It was 100% effective, and then it was an amazing, amazing thing that this guy who had been famous for selling schlock junk for, you know, 19, but, but wait, there's more, right? That I think that was mm-hmm. his phrase, had actually come up with this genius a consumer product that did something better than anybody else had ever done it before. But Rob, you're a cook. Did you ever have a, did you ever have I, a, a Ron Popeil rotisserie chicken? I didn't thing? have one. I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting though. They, I think the reason why it was so effective is because it's like the, the old easy bake oven, right? It's just a big light bulb that gets very hot <laughs> and it's the size of the oven that is so small that you can, as long as your chicken is there, it cooks really evenly. It's just a matter of like, you know, hundred Watts and a chicken. And eventually it's beautiful. Um, I don't know. I never want to, I never, I I wouldn't have come out well about it, but like, uh, yeah, (laughs) but you know, I, I was more interested in the pocket fisherman because the, the theory of the pocket fisherman was that you're always in these positions when fishing (laughs) is available to you and you don't have the equipment. (laughs) 
That's what I loved about. Oh, damn. Here I am on the pier and I can't fish. <laughs> Wish I had my pocket fisherman. Well, I, I got to admit, though, like some of the infomercials were really like the ability to make an infomercial for a product you don't need, where yeah. by the end of it, you're like, how have I ever lived without that? I mean, like you, the, some of the old Ginsu knife commercials, mm-hmm. I was like, I need a knife that can cut through a tin can. I need a knife that can cut now. through a I need it now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I am very, you know, those but, malls have these stores. There's this mall yeah. chain called As Seen on TV. Yeah, where you actually can go and buy in the store what they sell on TV. It's very disappointing now. You can when you go in those stores, you can also be slapped by Will Smith now. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> but it's very disappointing because, like, you think, "Oh my God, this is what I've always wanted." Is I actually want to look at one of these things I've seen on TV, and I think they basically run <laughs> run out. It's like secular stagnation. Like no one's invented a good TV product. You know, we got my pillow. That's what we got. We got my pillow. Right. And and it's self lubricating catheters. Those are what we get well, in the yeah, scene on TV. You now. can live without a my pillow, but if you're going to get a catheter, get one that self lubricates. So I, I, I the, the vernacular of those little movies, these infomercial movies, is so great because they all have one part. They in they they are classic sales. Uh, you know, uh, it's like the passion play. It's a classic sales you know pa- pageant where you need that part in the early on in the piece where people are being. Uh, inconvenienced and exhausted and frustrated and pained and in some case injured by the current state of affairs. So there's always people like, don't you hate your pill? Oh, oh, oh. people like, oh, and there's always some woman lo- holding up whatever is she like trying to open the tin can. And she goes, does that thing where she goes <sighs> and she blows straight up and her bangs go crazy because she's so frustrated. And then the solution comes. They all have it. I like and, it where the old man says, barks at his wife, this catheter is not going to lubricate itself. Yeah, yeah. And then the voiceover says, no, yes, it, it will. It hurts when I catheterize. <laughs> I, I'm frightened when someone knocks on my door late at night. That kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, the best, um, now to bring it right back to Will Smith, the best infomercial I ever saw was ironically kind of like the worst one and the most um, ineffective. Flap and go. Well, no, it was uh, one for um, uh, Scientology. I remember uh, their old ones, the Dianetic commercials mm-hmm. and stuff. Too. Yeah, this was an infomercial, and they got uh-huh. um, they got the uh, one of the kids from the Waltons. Uh, she was she was of Scientology, and they got her. She was grown up, and she's talking about uh, it was difficult being a child star in the Waltons, and she's got <laughs> that weird kind of cr- crazy eyes in right into the camera. And what was weird about it was that. They they were unaware because they were all Scientologists that this that she was coming off as enraged. And for some reason, this was not a soothing, hey, we're gonna teach you how to fish with the pocket fisherman. It was like uh she kept saying things like, uh, and I was trying to be an actor after the Waltons, but I hadn't taken care of my whatever it is, her past life. It's sort of like your past, whatever your past and whatever. Like you have these um react the reactive mind, which was very yeah, which and then she looks at the camera and goes, which was very difficult if you want to be an actress. And then she smiles, this ghastly rictus that isn't a smile, but someone told her to smile. And you realize, oh, this is an insane person trying to sell me an insane product. And they only ran it for like, I think, a month, and then they took it off. But it's they didn't understand that it that, that people are put off by the anger. Like, what are you so angry about? You so I, Sue I, Allen or whatever. I visited a when I was a television producer, I visited a friend of mine, uh Todd, you may know him, Craig Turk, um, mm-hmm. and he was going to Harvard Law School, and his roommate, I believe, was going to Harvard Business School at the time, and 
they their favorite thing to watch was this infomercial and there's like it's a, there's a subcategory it's not just infomercials but it's also like radio ads mm-hmm. that if the product actually worked the way they say it works the person selling it would be a multiple billionaire right like so like it, it, there has to be a hitch otherwise they wouldn't be like giving us stuff away and this was a sort of like a farmer's almanac kind of book or like a baseball almanac kind of book of statistics. And it told you exactly the day and time to buy commodities <laughs> and then sell them. <laughs> and they would do these interviews with people. And then like this, some farmer guy was like, you know, one of the things I really, I really don't like about investing is all the homework that you've got to do to figure out how to protect your money. And now with this, I don't have to do any thinking. I just sell when it tells me to sell and buy when it tells me to buy and it's guaranteed profit. And it's like, if that were remotely true, why would you be telling? It's like, let's run a commercial for a product that correctly predicts what the Powerball numbers will be. Right. We should say that that guy, Craig Turk, is now, I believe, the executive producer of the the CBS FBI show. Yes. I believe. Yes. So um, he learned a lot. Yeah. About storytelling, it's about storytelling, about about yeah. telling, a, about getting people to uh, to do a thing, to watch something, and then to watch it again. That's true. Right. That's a hard hard thing to do. So uh, there was sad news today. Very, very, very sad news. It's not a joke. Like very sad news. Uh, Bruce Willis's family reported that he uh, will be retiring from acting because he has um, aphasia, which uh, is a is a brain condition that means he can no longer speak i believe um and he's 67 years old and um it's a very it's one of these moments 67 years old and um it's interesting to sort of reflect on on his career because he may be most notable for the fact that he was one of the people who uh whose agent really but he uh broke the bank uh on movie stardom and mm-hmm. and and reset the way that movie stars get paid uh so uh die hard is um about to i think Sylvester Stallone was going to make die hard somebody was going to make die hard and dropped out with a month before the filming was about to start. Somebody got the idea of putting Bruce Willis in Die Hard. He was like a sensation on Moonlighting, and he'd been in one movie and had had, had acquitted himself well. And his agent said, okay, but if you want him, you got to pay him $5 million. Totally untested, not a movie star, hadn't been the sole star of a movie, nothing. And um, he got it. And suddenly this, you know, nobody who'd only been on TV for two years and three years earlier had been a bartender in New York, had the, made the largest paycheck that anybody had yet gotten in, in, in the movies uh, up front. And then Die Hard, of course, was a sensation. Mm-hmm. And uh, all, all of Hollywood changed at that moment because the idea was, what the hell is the matter with you? If this guy get Bruce Willis five million dollars, right? And I'm sliced still. You should get me ten million dollars. What right. the hell is going on here? And then there was this mad rush, so that you know. But at some point, ten years later, Jim Carrey is getting twenty million dollars to make a weird all they were 
comic yeah. comic movie about you know a psychotic cable guy because he could get it and they ran out of money so they had to give you points and then they had to give you certain kind of points so they had they give you schwarzenegger points i think actually think schwarzenegger is one of the very few people who got it which was points on what they call dollar called dollar one on dollar one so the you know, traditionally there's a split and that you know the you get recoup the recoupment phase which is always fraudulent and um and he said, no, 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 we, we, t- I take mine off the top from dollar right. one, um, no fees, no nothing. Uh, and they did it for Schwarzenegger and they, they, I think they did it for a few other people, but it was, just, it was just because they ran out of money. They couldn't, they couldn't pay you anymore. Right. Um, and now of course there isn't any money. So they don't, they, they, they now will pay you uh, a little portion and then another little portion, another little portion, but the paydays are much smaller. I mean, are they? Because I, I was under the impression that when you hear about like Don't Look Up, so Don't Look Up is this terrible right, right. movie. Um, Oscar nominated for Best Picture. Right. Made for made for Netflix with Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. So Leonardo DiCaprio, one of the two or three biggest stars in the movies, just in a huge box office hit, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Lawrence, who had made a couple of bombs, was largely probably considered the number one female movie star in the world. And I think they both got like $30 million up. Now, they're not getting anything else because Netflix has no back end. There's no other money to be made. But the budget of that movie was like $115 million, and half of it went just to pay the two of them. So I don't know that it's true. The streaming services, if they really want to secure the services of somebody like Ryan Reynolds or, you know, they made that movie with Ryan Reynolds, The Rock, and Gal Gadot, right? Uh, Red Notice, which is almost unwatchable. Mm-hmm. And it looks good. unbelievably cheap because they spent 90% of the budget paying them. And 10% of the budget is like, let's let's put a we'll, you know, we'll put a chair behind them. Like let's rent a chair and we'll put it behind them. So that means it's a, a rich person's house, that kind of thing. So I don't think it's true that they're not getting paid. Well, I, I mean, they're not getting paid, but there's just there isn't the payday, right? There isn't this giant. There, there are no points, so you can't put it off. You can't. You, yeah. You can't. Well, you can't you be can't, Robert Downey Jr. and make 150 million dollars off right. off the off Endgame, which is you, you know yeah right. And you can't take a risk. You know, you can't roll the dice, which is the way they finance movies earlier on. Because, like, hey, look, if you get paid a lot from dollar one, they sort of build that into the whole thing. And, like, okay, I'm going to make it a little less, but if we, if there's any money, we're all going to get rich, right? So the people who made those deals with Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or, or the very few other people who got those deals, they don't regret it. They don't say, right. I wish I had, I wish we had had somebody else play the part. Now it's just much harder because the, the window is small and they, you just don't get the box office numbers you used to get. So there's nobody paying cash. I get to watch the Netflix movie essentially for free because I am already watching Netflix right. movies. So. so can I just say two things? One, uh, the thing that galls me about Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence getting paid all of that money is not that they got paid a lot of money to do a movie, fine, whatever the market will bear. It's that those clowns who made that movie said that they were doing it because of their passion for yeah. the climate issue. They're so brave. And like, if you're not willing to do a few weeks worth of work um, to save the planet, maybe don't without getting paid millions and millions of dollars, maybe don't lecture other people about just trying to do their jobs. But I'll, the second, just the last thing on the Oscars, um, 
So like my understanding from what feels like eight trillion episodes of Glop talking about the Oscars um, is that uh, the reason they expanded the number of nominees from five to 10 or whatever it is, is so that they could scoop up some popular movies yeah. into the mix, right? It yeah. was like, so we got to get some superhero movies. In. We got to get some movies in here that Americans actually right. go to see so people will watch the Oscars, among other things. And instead, it seems like, oh, we now have more bandwidth for even more obscure art house self-indulgent movies. I mean, hasn't this just completely backfired? Well, I mean, the point is, you know, if they just pick the nominees, if the Academy just picked the nominees themselves, if they did what the what MTV does and just pick the nominees, like the writers of the show pick the nominees, then it would be fine. But in fact, they actually have a voting system. Right. And there was, you know, the, the only movie that was dissed in that respect this year was Spider-Man No Way Home, which was the biggest box office movie of the year. Got rapturously good reviews. Everybody liked it. People People really enjoyed it. And uh, and it didn't make it into the top 10. Maybe because people are like, well, why does Spider-Man need a nomination? Like, what does it need to be recognized for? It's it's the only movie that's going to make $2 billion this year on the planet Earth. Right. So let right. that be enough for it. Like, wh what are they being so greedy for? Like, the individual voter doesn't care how the Oscars does, right? <laughs> um I'm stunned because um, Coda, which won, deserved to win. I only watched <laughs> Coda Sunday afternoon before the Oscars because I thought it was like a yeah. homework movie. Oh, it's a disability movie yeah. about Dev, Chilla, Dev. I'm, you know, it's like one of those things that's going to, you know, be dreary. It's fantastic. It is a wonderful, wonderful, deeply moving movie. It blew me away. And, you know, by the time the show was on, this is what's interesting. I was starting to get really angry at the thought that Power of the Dog might win um, because I suddenly had root, a rooting interest in CODA. Um, so I was the only person in America who actually seemed to care all that much about the outcome of or this. Had, who had seen both of those movies. Yeah, well, but, yeah. I mean, but CODA, does, and I say this as somebody who has not seen CODA, CODA does sort of follow the pattern of the old-style Oscar winner, serious... Um, kind of sentimental adult drama. Yeah. Um, that's not, you know, that's like a really, really good, a really good. Yeah. And but 30 not... years ago, it would have made $250 million yeah, at the box it would, office. It would have been a big autumn release. Yeah, it would have been. It oh, would have been for you. Yeah. If you were like an advocate for the, you know, the deaf or uh, are we supposed to say death anymore? I don't know. Yeah. Or, um, or that actor who's only the second deaf actor. Troy concert. Yeah. Right. And, you know, every morning show the next day has a certain oh, amount of yeah. budget for Oscar talk. And it was all soaked up by the Will Smith thing. And a lot of these smaller films, that's what they were counting on. Exactly. Was like yeah. the buzz about their movie because they won yeah. a freaking Academy Award. And none of them got any of that chatter because who's talking about Coda when you got Will Smith slapping Chris Rock? Right. I just feel right. like, you know, Coda, Coda out, Coda, you know, way outperformed. And they can't be upset. You know what I mean? Like, sure, sure, sure. sure it sure. really did. It really did way out. Yeah, but you can always be upset. I mean, that's what do you mean? Yeah, you could be. You could be upset. I guarantee you the publicist for Coda is kind of yeah. pissed. Yeah, right. I think Coda is probably yeah. kind of pissed. Well, the publicist for Coda is Apple. So I don't know why Apple Apple has no right to be pissed. That's well, the funny part. Coda is someone who has that portfolio could. at Apple, and they were thinking, yeah. Yeah. this yeah. is my moment. And I know. Apple's pissed for the other reason that they are the producer of the next Will Smith movie. <laughs> 
That's right. <laughs> That's right. Which it's is true. um yeah. anyway, do we do emancipation qu- it's called, I believe. Remember, I, I mean Tom Cruise blew up his career in two thousand six by acting crazy, right? He jumped on Oprah's couch, he screamed at Matt Lauer. Remember this about he didn't psychiatry? Scream at him. And he, he was like, I know the recovered. history of psychiatry, Matt. I don't think you know oh. the history of psychiatry. Oh, John. Remember, and then he talked glib. about Brooke glib. Shields. He kept saying, you're glib. Yeah. You're glib. Yeah, yeah. But, he, and then, but by the way, Tom Cruise yeah. knows how to apologize. Showed up at Brooke Shields' house with like, right. I don't know, like cookies right. and a diamond. But it took him five years. It, you know, Sumner Redstone, the head of Paramount, fired him. I mean, then he, then that then that didn't last that long. Or, but I mean... There was a whole thing where it took him like five years to regain, to get back to where he had been when he had this horrible set of PR disasters. Right. Um, Is Will Smith, I mean, Will Smith just, you know, like, you know, kind of restored his career by winning an Oscar and then shattered his career by slapping Chris Rock and... Does any of that matter? Is, I mean, are people going to watch Will Smith's next movie? Or is it like, I don't know. Like, they'll watch it. I think they'll watch it. Well, we'll find out soon enough. I, I think that, I mean, the, the question, the larger question is, go, what happens now, right? And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Academy is meeting today. I mean, actually, Richard Rushfield had a very funny line in Race and he said, "The Academy's, you know, uh, snapped into action. They called an emergency. They they called for uh, on Monday. They called for an emergency meeting for Wednesday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, uh, very Academy, very Hollywood thing to do. So wait until we find out which way the wind is blowing, and then let's just go there. Um, so they're meeting today, and so the question is, okay, what are they going to do? And there's a whole bunch of different." You know, option on the table. The worst one, it seems to me, is to um, take his Oscar away. That doesn't seem fair. Um, but take his they're... Oscar away. Don't you have to take Harvey Weinstein's Oscar away yeah, for Shakespeare in Love and yeah. Roman Polanski's I mean, Oscar away for The Pianist? I mean, and... the the argument is that he disrupted the the uh, the the functioning yeah. of an Academy event. Um, there's you can suspend him from the Academy, which I'm not sure I know what that does, but it's it's symbolic. It means really, he can't the, the, be nominated for an Oscar next year or something. Right, but the real but the real punishment, I mean, will be he probably won't win an Oscar for many many years. But the real real punishment's going to be he should not be allowed to present next year. That's what the the you know that's the next big thing for the Oscar winners. You get to show up next Oof. year and present. Yeah, and he won't be able to do that. And I feel like that is a, a, a that's a fair punishment. That's what the Hannibal Lecter gurney is for. <laughs> right? That's where you bring them we out. Need good, we need a good Hannibal. It's true. We could use a good Hannibal Hannibal Lecter gurney. So um uh I, I, I should uh, stop here for a moment and say that uh as you guys know, I'm the editor of Commentary Magazine. If you're listening to this next week on April 6th, we're having a live podcast event. We are gonna be doing our podcast live to tape in Palm Beach, Florida. If you're interested in attending. Uh, please go to commentary.org slash live podcast to sign up. Uh, and uh, I'll be there. My colleagues, Abe Greenfield, Greenfield, Jesus, Abe Greenwald, <laughs> Abe Greenwald, Christine Rosen and Noah Rother will be there. Dan Cena will be there. It'll be a great event. Commentary.org slash live podcast. I can't even speak anymore. So John, I have an idea for yeah. some, a, a premium that you can sell at that yeah. thing. Remember how James Brooks, had his crazy laugh woven into the laugh track on various sitcoms. Yeah. You know, particularly, I always remember from Taxi that uh, uh, laugh. Yeah. 
someone can pay extra to have themselves mic'd so that their laugh will be distinctively heard mm. um, during the podcast. Oh, that is a yeah. It's we a good should idea. run a cut. Now, maybe not this time, but next time we will. Oh, we will boy, uh, talk about. We will. We will do that. We need, great yeah. idea. Maybe not this time. I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that idea. Wonderful. That's so great. You know, maybe, maybe next time because we have to do the thing. Let's do it in the we sequel. Can't, we we'll can't right sequel. now because of the thing. Um, I'll, I'll say since you said uh, commentary, I'll say that um, this is a podcast that's on the Ricochet Network. Um, if you're listening, please join Ricochet.com. If you're a student, you can join for free. Um, it's a great place to go and um, mix it up and meet in a civil way with other like-minded center-right individuals. We try to keep it nice and civil, the conversations, unlike Twitter and the uh, the internet in general. Um, and we, of course, need your support because that is what keeps the lights on. So if, you're like, if you like this podcast, we would uh, respectfully, humbly beg you to join Ricochet.com. And uh, Jonah... Uh, Jonah was, is the uh, is one of the founders of the Dispatch, and indeed I am. But I was going to take the high road and not oh. try to commandeer this for my own per- narrow purposes. But uh, yeah, if you could become a member of the Dispatch, that would be awesome. <laughs> and uh, go ahead and do that. And uh, tired of the other websites? Oh, oh. I would just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I am now gonna I'm now gonna I'm gonna gonna promote the the Dispatch for for a second, which is that um, the Morning Dispatch, which is the newsletter that is released around 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Monday through Friday, is absolutely fantastic. It is a it is um, an elaboration. There are two or three elaborations on important news stories of the previous day or news or news mm-hmm. of the upcoming day uh sophisticated incredibly thorough fair uh unhysterical um and uh uh you have a team of people doing it and it is you know i i get a lot of these now you know mm-hmm. i get the axios one i get the punch bowl thing and i get the this one and that one um, and it's 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 really a, just a, a a remarkably good piece of journalism uh, of the sort that websites have been promising for years and not actually delivering because of course it's much easier right. to produce the you know to produce well, the that's, opinion. That's very nice of you. Those guys work very very hard on that thing to get it out every day by seven. And the whole ethos is uh, it's going to tell you something that you, you that we think you need to know, and it's not going to waste your time telling you it. So it's um, right. yeah, and, the, and we try to report in it. You know, we try to actually bring new information into the thing, which is like, God forbid days. they screw up in any way, and they get slapped upside the face. Yes, well, that's, I'm not saying that's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Jonah, Jonah, the famous rageaholic, Jonah that's and yeah. Steve, the two of them, Jonah Goldberg and Steve Hayes, famous for their for their rages actually the guy who just is we're so glad he's based out of tennessee is david french because that guy is oh just God. a helicopter of fists. cauldron yeah, yeah. he's a yeah. bubbling cauldron but he's really always is. been a bad seed he's always really? had there's always been trouble with him yeah you know he likes those drag queen story hours <laughs> so does one of the three co-founders of compact magazine but that's another story <laughs> that, we're not going there we're not going there so um yeah, so there we are. I think we've. Uh, I think we have. Um, we achieved. Well, we did, we, we, we this did was an emergency the, glove. We did yes. tease the beginning that we were going to talk about Madison Cawthorn. We don't need to do it at any okay. length. Okay. I just want to ask you guys a question: Do you for 
I don't want to, I want to ask in a leading way. Do you guys believe that Madison Cawthorn is routinely invited by 60 and 70 year old elder Republican leaders and conservative leaders to orgies? Well, I think he's probably stumbled onto an orgy in an old mansion uh, on the North shore of Long Island in which people in masks are going, oh, my name, my name, and that, like an eyes wide shot. And then, yeah, you but know, I, Sidney I, Pollack I like says, don't, you better leave, better get out of here, Madison Cawthorn, because there are things going on here that you can't possibly understand. The only problem but with I, that theory is that Roger Stone's house is not in Long Island. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know how to say this. So I'm just going to say it. And it's a legit question. Are there orgies that are ADA compliant? <laughs> I mean, imagine if there are, they'll be in D.C. That's where they would be. Now, I think San Francisco, right? I mean, oh, that's Silicon Valley, you know? Yeah. Um, and you have to identify. You have to say what your pronouns are and you right. have to say, like, white body or whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did. I was, you're right about San Francisco. I had a friend of mine who was um, he uh, he went to a gallery opening or an art opening in San Francisco. And uh, and, you know, it's like the thing where everybody's standing around with white wine and there's cheese board and whatever. And then, oh, the beautiful painting. Right? And then at a certain point, certain of the rooms in the gallery, sort of like a, a multi-room gallery, uh, were kind of there, there was like curtains drawn like while the party was going on. And he was there with a friend of his. And uh, and they sort of noticed that like party goers were like kind of disappearing from the main room into other rooms, and that that was the beginning of the orgy that was had been unannounced was not part mm -hmm. of the in, in the initial invitation to the art thing, and then the creepy uh, gallery or gallerist I guess they call them owner came up to them and another group and said uh, in this kind of incredibly great way is everyone in the room they want to be in <laughs> and then you would say oh actually i'm gonna go to that room uh and then he and his friend said yeah well actually no we're we're gonna be in the room out just out outside on the other side of this the room in the uber that's on the way to pick us up to get us out of here uh but that was like they were like the rest of the like week they're like that, that was really that really happened so I'm not saying that Madison Cawthorn isn't full of crap. He is. But um, it, I, I'm just surprised that there are people. That, I, I'm no longer surprised at the embarrassing things that people will do. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I had a friend just since we're at, when's the next time we're going to have a chance for one of these stories. Um, I have a friend who went to a club <laughs> in Paris. Right. Uh, where above the, it was like a normal club kind of bar scene. And then above them suspend sort of like the the net that trapeze artists fall into at the circus there was there were people having sex on the netting above them that's and that's hard and, yeah i would think and, right. and the way he describes it he's like I was, I was not comfortable being there and i can't really mime it for a podcast for a listening audience <laughs> but he, everywhere he walked he just kept one hand over his glass <laughs> I, uh, I i i really really hope that those people who were on those nets did not have any olestra 
That's a good point. That's a good is, point. That's yeah. pretty but much you, all I can say. But you but would some know. Some of them were on a rotisserie of sorts. But that's <laughs> another true. story. <laughs> but you would know who those people were later by the elaborate netting pattern that was etched into their skin. <laughs> like they probably looked fully webbed at some point. Um, I have a terrible joke. A terrible, not a joke, terrible story that I can't tell. But it involves this. It's just so hard. I can't. Okay. I, can't. I will okay, tell, I I'll tell can't. my, I'll tell my one orgy story, which is, a, this is, this is my hand to God true. Oh, in my, 1978, uh, in the summer of 1978, I was 17 years old and I went to be an apprentice at the Williamstown Theater Festival in Williamstown, Massachusetts. 1978. So this is just before, uh, you know, three years before AIDS, you know, before the story in the New York Times, it revealed that there was a condition called, called then called grid, uh, which turned out to be AIDS. So it was the height of the kind of um, sybaritic bohemian culture of the 1970s. And I was a kid and I was maybe the youngest person at the Williamstown Theater Festival. And we would work till very late building sets, like till 9, 9, 30, 10. And the cast would be, would be rehearsing and the apprentices and other people would be building sets. And then at 10 o'clock, everybody would break for the night and there was a cocktail party behind the theater, the Adams Theater, in a building called Greylock Hall. And Greylock Hall had been laid out to be one of these, like, those lounges. I don't know if people are old enough to... In the 70s, there was a big craze to have lounges where it was just, like, carpeting and pillows. And mm. there were no, you know, there were no chairs. There were no couches. Like, everything was, everything was sort of on the floor. Sort of like what Kramer wanted to do with his apartment with levels. Exactly, yeah. right. Levels. Yeah. There were levels. And so there was this big open space. And so you go to Greylock Call and you go in and there was a bar. There was an open bar. And um, uh, and the, so I was this kid. And so the first or second or third night, I went to this event. And, you know, there was someone was playing music and people were dancing and stuff like that. There were like 60, 70 people in the room. And then at some point, about half an hour in, I began to notice the lights started getting dim and I noticed that people started lying down on the floor on these levels, pillows, whatever. And other people were lying down and people were doing this, doing that. And I was, though I was, you know, from the ultra sophisticated Upper West Side of New York and I knew all this stuff. I was very inexperienced, you know, uh, in this right. manner. And it began to occur to me that what I was seeing was an orgy was starting. <laughs> And in fact, indeed, pretty much every night in Greylock Hall behind the Adams Theater at the Williamstown Theater Festival, there was a spontaneous, not so spontaneous, since everybody knew what was happening, orgy. And I went that first night and I fled. Sure. I never went back. I was terrified. Now, just so I can, can, yeah. I, can I just ask, uh, uh, where, what, what, where, what state was your hair in at this point? Uh, there was a lot of it. And was the full... The full it Jufro. was the full Jufro. Yes. So a little... It really does complete the image. It does. Yeah. It's important. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, because the yes. alarm and the panic and the yeah. confusion and the terror is better yes. with the Jufro. Yes. Yes. You have to think about me... Yeah, like as you it. know, Robbie Benson or Scott Jacoby or one of those well, one okay. of those actors of the nineteen right. kid actors well, of the nineteen seventies. Okay. 
but it was, you know, it was, and and it's one of the things, by the way, that and various other uh, things at Williamstown that 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 led me away from the theater as a as a as a profession, like which I thought I was gonna attempt um because like pushed you away was, direction well, speaking, say, right i mean not led for, you for, away. for many people well, that's what draws them there uh, that's right that's right and i that was not my that was not my reaction my reaction was sort of spontaneous horror i have to say and uh there have been moments in my life when i wondered like what would have happened had i partaken and then i also remember that a great many people that i was at williamstown that summer with did not survive the 1980s literally did right. not survive the 1980s right? because of behaviors that they indulged in at places like Greylock Hall behind the Adams Theater uh, in the summer of 1978. So That's a really uplifting. Jesus. Yes, it is. Well, you know, crushing morosity is my brand. So maybe we should yeah. end on a high note with. Uh, well, did you then... have a good orgy experience? Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's have that. Like, well, you know, Joan and I lived, both of us lived 10 blocks from like the, the, the ultimate Plato's, uh, retreat. Plato's retreat, right? Which, um, which I've been inside. I think I told this story on this podcast yeah. many years uh, yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Me and a bunch of my reprobate teenage friends, we had heard about, you know, it was like where you shot Lady Chatterley's lover or something it was like that. It was a full of sort of like in the Simpsons where Chief Wiggum says to his kids, says to the kids, what is your strange fascination with the forbidden closet of mystery? Um, <laughs> like we always heard parents like talking about this place and then getting quiet when we went by. So we were like looking in trying to see through the window and some guy came out and said, Hey, you guys want to come in and check it out? And we were too Damn. stupid to say, this is not a good idea. So we went in, we didn't see anything weird, but we you know what we saw, we saw a lot of levels. Uh, levels. Yeah, it's right, always right. levels. It's all <laughs> levels, nets, pillows. That's the that's the secret. So as long as you got a lot of couches and a lot of chairs, and a lot of tables, that's all you need. It's gonna yeah. no. You're it's, it's not gonna you're gonna interfere with the free love. Oh, I see. I see. That's I mean, what I'm tables saying. Tables are good because you have the under the table. I don't know. I'm just. I'm not. I'm not in that business. So I'm just. I don't want to tell you how to how to run your swingers club. But look, like my, I've never been to an orgy. But my assumption is is that part of the benefit of an orgy is lots of line of sight. So you don't want a lot of desks and tables for under the table stuff. But you do you want, want you know, line of sight, or do you want do you want not to see? I'm not sure. I, I anyway, I think I think we should get we, we should have, have Roger Stone on here, and I'm going to ask. Okay, I will tell the greatest joke. I will tell the greatest joke ever. It is the greatest joke. It is the simplest, plainest, simplest joke, and it's very suiting, suitable. Okay, don't don't oversell fitting. it or anything. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Okay, because it's five words. Okay? Uh-huh. Pretty much. If you, if you print it out, but I'll say this. Say this to the masochist, right? So the masochist says, beat me. And the sadist says, later. Hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. I, I, nice. you know, it's the purest joke I know. Because it's the shortest. Short is always shortest, better. and yeah. it is the truest. It is the right. most perfect reversal of expectation with that is actually the perfect execution of the scenario. Well, I'll tell you a joke my mom told me when I was a kid, and it took me years to really fully appreciate it. Is um, not a little kid, but you know, young. Is what's the difference between erotic and kinky? Erotic is when you use a feather. Kinky is when you use the whole chicken. All right, um, I may have already told this joke. What's the worst thing? I know this joke. Go. <laughs> you know, I know exactly. Go, We've had go, arguments go, go. about this joke. You think it's go. your joke from all time, but anyway, go. 
What is the worst thing a girl can hear after performing a sex act on Willie Nelson? I'm not Willie Nelson. <laughs> I. <laughs> it is a great joke. It's a fantastic that is a great joke. joke. Particularly is. when you then picture what someone. Right. Who yeah, he's a homeless the, guy. Yeah, a very, yeah. very, he's very yeah. smart homeless guy. Yeah, you don't guy. need to. Yeah, you don't need yeah. to elaborate. So I think I'm we did. Dom I think DeLuise. we reversed. I think, I think we uh, <laughs> we pulled ourselves out of the emotional free fall and onto an acceptable level in which yeah. to end. Yeah, this gruesome podcast. So, gentlemen, I guess we'll be back at some point in uh, April to to trouble uh, our listeners. Oh yeah, with it's our, like April is in two days. Yeah. yeah. We'll be April Fools. Yeah, enjoy April, enjoy April, everybody. Spader. Well, now it's all going to pot. Whether we like it or not, best I can tell, the world's going to hell. We're sure going to miss it a lot. I got a hundred dollar bill, friend, to keep your pills, cause it's all going to pot. That cackle babble head in the box, must think I'm dumb as a rock. Reading me the news while I'm kicking off my shoes and it's scaring me out of my socks. Admitted it's stranger, I'm not, but buddy, let me tell you what. If you ask old Will to say, here's the deal, friends, it's all going to pot. Well, it's all going to fun, whether we like it or not. Best I can tell, the world's gone to hell, and we're all going to miss it a lot. All the whiskey in Lynchburg, Tennessee, just couldn't hit the spot. Got a hundred-dollar bill, you can keep your pills, friend, it's all going to pot. Join the conversation. Well, I thought I had found me a girl, sweetest little thing in the world. But all my jokes went up in smoke when I called her, making eyes at Merle. He said, a sweet little honey, where they're hiding your money. supposed to say either i don't yeah. think i think you're supposed to say either because you know men or both have an obvious well that's the whole point oh, can we talk about that can we talk about the pronoun and trans uh i guess what's the actual principle of trans whatever humanism philia transphilia in restaurants to use more like say they Instead of like they they have a shellfish allergy at that table, they are choking. <laughs> they ordered the steak and yeah, they, they ordered yeah, the yeah. thing anyway. Yeah.
Uh, so we, this, uh, this, this was actually literally gold. 